You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. There is a perception that with the onslaught of the digital economy, precarious work and suppressed wages, that young workers know little about fighting for a better working future through collective action. In today's program, we put pay to this belief. We hear from Mays, an organiser for the newest union on the block, the Games Workers' Union, from Lucas, an organiser for RAFU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers' Union, and Ben and Bailey from the Art Workers' Collective. But first, some union news. <laughs> The workers at the Canuff Plasterboard Facility in Port Melbourne, covered by the CFMEU, have been locked out for over two weeks. The German multinational, which dominates the plasterboard industry locally and internationally, refuses to negotiate over a clause in the EBA which will introduce labour hire, opening the way for casualising the workforce at the site. At a rally at the site on the 30th of September, Unions, including the CFMEU, the ETU and the Plumbers Union, announced a joint $170,000 boost to the fighting fund. Kylie Brown, the site organiser. I mean, we've got 70 members here, so it's been pretty rough. Obviously, you know, with interest rates going up and the cost of living and petrol, it's pretty tough for the boys, but they're all in really, really good spirits and, you know, they can't thank the unions enough for their absolute outstanding generosity. So um, everybody's fighting fighting hard and, and willing to take it until Christmas. Actually, we're thinking about getting a Christmas tree down here soon. Down the road in Leverton, Victoria, Kunos, Australia's sole manufacturer and leading supplier of polyethylene and polymers, has locked its workers out. These workers are covered by the AWU, the Australian Workers' Union, which put this statement out on the airways after day two of the strike. Here we are at Quenos where 34 Braid AW members went on strike yesterday uh, as part of an enterprise bargaining dispute in which their employer has refused to respond to 90% of their logger claims, which is completely disrespectful. And when we sought to meet with them yesterday, they responded by giving us a lockout notice. I'm not quite sure how you lock someone out who's already on strike. It's almost like, you know, you didn't break up with me, I broke up with you. You know, Quenos management really should be doing better. These guys carried them through COVID. They worked um, in all of that hellish two years that we all went through. And now in response, it's not the management are putting a miserable offer, it's barely that they're putting an offer at all. They've refused to acknowledge to respond to 90% of the log of claims. You can quite, employers claim that they're going broke all the time and that they're in difficult financial circumstances. And you can try and run that argument, but you can't at the same time then refuse to deal with and respond to um, things that don't cost money in a log of claims. It's hypocritical. And my message to Quenos is, Quenos, you need to do better than this. 
these guys looked after you during COVID, now you need to respond and look after them. The workers are fighting to abolish an apprenticeship scheme which locks trainees in a low-pay wage for five years as well as trying to reverse cuts to numbers of workers on shift. They are also pushing for 7% year-to-year pay rises to keep up with inflation. Hydro Tasmania workers, covered by the CEPU, the Communications Electrical Plumbers Union, took strike action on October the 5th. Negotiations over their new EBA have faltered after 15 meetings with no movement on an offer which was voted down by its workers. High pay for managers but suppressed wages and skeleton staff regimes for workers are blamed by the union for the mayhem. It's just another example of a failed government business enterprise model where management and the board are more focused on their own individual KPI-driven bonuses than delivering good outcomes for the Tasmania community who built and own Hydro Tasmania. It's embarrassing, says the union. These strikes will be statewide and will continue indefinitely. They will throw planned essential routine maintenance and outages into chaos and could even end up enrolling blackouts in some areas, apparently. From start of Term 4, staff in Catholic schools covered by the IEU Victoria Tasmania, the Independent Education Union, will be following no freebies commitment not to do any unpaid work outside school hours. About 25,000 Catholic school staff, independent education union members at 350 schools are taking industrial action to protest against stalled pay negotiations. Unlike their peers at other schools, they have not had a pay rise for two years. They will not cover additional classes when staff are ill, attend non-critical out-of-school activities or answer emails or calls from parents out of school hours. Deborah James, General Secretary of the IEU in Victoria, Tasmania, said the teachers have redoubled their efforts to support and educate students throughout the pandemic and cover for six colleagues this year. However, this doesn't mean they are prepared to be taken advantage of and this term they'll be showing employers that the above and beyond can't be taken for granted, she said. In New South Wales, workers covered by the ETU, the Electrical Trade Union, have been locked out by Australia's biggest grain processing plant, Manildra Group's Shoalhaven Starches, located in Bombardieri near Nowra. The 13 electricians were locked out in response to limited work bans after 10 months of negotiations stalled as members sought better paying conditions. Early last week, 50 workers, covered by RAFU, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union at Apple, met and set a clear path to direct industrial action to achieve a fair EBA. A worker for Apple said the following... We are having contracts changed at the whim of management for business needs, in inverted commas. Some staff have already had three to four significant changes just this year. They have changed some clearly to avoid penalty rates and there's nothing we can do because of the shifty EBA that's 98% of staff said yes to after a successful campaign by SDA and company bosses working together. 
The upturn of mental health issues I'm seeing is significant and worrying. Thank goodness for Rafu turning the tide. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. It is often believed that younger workers in the era of individualism are caught on the back foot when it comes to fighting collectively for workers' rights. Recently, I came across a good news story about the newest union on the scene, the Game Workers' Union. Okay, Okay, so you're Maze and you're um, part of a union that many people wouldn't have ever heard of. Yeah, so Game Workers Australia, we started as a grassroots international activist organisation in 2018. And then just on May Day this year, on May 8, um, we became a national trade union for game developers. Um, as part of the Professionals Australia family. So, yeah, yeah, we're a new union. Oh, that's so fantastic. Now, of course, the digital world is something that many people find quite scary. So what is it that you, how do you actually, uh, are you freelancers effectively or do you work for uh, companies? Yeah, so many of us are. We're pretty evenly split between half of the industry being contractors not all of them living the awesome freelance life, a lot of them under sham contracts. Um, and then the other half being under those larger businesses as employees. We have a pretty split focus between contractors and ethical small business and co-ops as well, as well as the bigger AAA Hollywood budget style of games. So, yeah, we're across the whole thing and everything that we do really tries to focus on both ends of the industry, yeah. Yeah, and so how do you actually uh, go in and battle for your members? Yeah, it's pretty funny, you know, because people think of a right of access as people going into your workplace, but we're coming into Discord and Slack channels. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I guess we have... We're... We've got people who aren't being paid um, to the award, to the Professional Employees Award, so they're not even reaching that minimum wage. And then we have people who, you know, they're running small businesses or they're creating games just with their mates and they need help to run an ethical small business. Or, you know, yeah, there's, there's a real range. So recently, you know, we've done tax workshops for employees and for contractors and we've done um, media workshops and we've done co-op workshops so that people can you know we hear a lot like who am I going to unionize against my mate from uni or my mate from work and it's like no we unionize with those people and we create a more sustainable business. Yeah right and and you said that there was an award that uh, you actually uh, 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 set yourself. Uh, tell us about that award. Yeah, so we're under the Professional Employees Award um, because anyone who works towards the development of software fits under that, and that's all video games. Yeah. And it also has a crossover, I'd say, with uh, uh, movie makers and uh, uh, copyright uh, or uh, royalties, right? Yeah, absolutely. So IP is a massive part of what we are getting people more literate in. You know, what are their rights when it comes to IP? It can be really complicated with music, especially with so many different streaming platforms, but also around moral rights because we work with so many other countries what moral rights is, is kind of vague. So helping people to actually be able to read their contract and know. And then other things like, all right, I might use my own gear to develop this game, but I also develop my own games and my personal time. And 
you know, what is the difference between non-compete and non-solicit and what is the, at what point do the company that I work for own my personal work, you know, and that kind of stuff and, yeah, what can be put in place to make sure that, you know, you can still make games with your mates on the side as well as making games professionally. And also, May, how, how did you get your expertise and why are you so interested? So I've been working in video games in audio for um, just over 11 years now and I guess Tim Colwell, who's my co-convener of Game Workers Australia, he came down to a conference and was like, this is what unionisation is, this is why we need it in games. And I've learned from there and I think it's been a really good journey because games industry has only existed in this kind of neoliberal era where our knowledge around worker rights and our knowledge around what unions are has been just totally dissipated by government and different policies and you know that kind of thing we've only existed since the 70s well, and also neoliberalism and exactly. the deindustrialization. exactly exactly so being able to kind of learn at the same pace as the rest of the industry we have no idea there's no traditions of worker movements you know um, that's been but really there nice. is a sense of unfairness. There is, you know, we're constantly told this rhetoric around, ah, oh, every year nine billion dollars comes into the Australian games industry, and we're bigger than film and music combined, and this kind of thing. Yet we're not even being paid minimum wage, half of us, you know. And when we're part of the Professionals Australia family, we're working with people from Google and IBM and. They're getting paid so much more than we are for similar skills and it's just like, hang on, you know, we're sitting in between arts and software, so we're a passion-run industry and everyone thinks that we're super replaceable because everyone wants to work in games, but we've got these highly technical skills. Where do we sit, you know, and we've just been told, well, you know, oh, you work in an office, you must have a cushy job, but no. We're, we're it's all about deadlines. Artists. Yes, and the deadlines. So uh, some of the issues that we really unionised around was crunch, so overworking with no extra pay. Um, and that crunch doesn't just come up, you know, it starts, oh, we have a deadline coming up, but then it's just normal. It's just 12 hours a day, every day. Um, other ones... And burnout, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, GDC, the Game Developers Conference, um, it's like 30,000 people go there each year in San Francisco. They have a survey um, that they do every year and they measure the average career in games. And when I started, the average career was seven years. And then people would go to um, general software or they would go to other media and marketing communications or they would reskill into another industry. And now it's four years. The average career has gone down. And so we have no mentors. We have no seniors. We're constantly grinding through junior game developers who have no idea how to make games. They have a shit time and then they leave, you know? So, yeah. There's Tell me that. about your membership. I mean, uh, how big is the union? We are kicking well above our weight for, for a union that has really only had a paid membership since May. Um, we're doing amazingly well and, you know, we, we're part of all of the big industrial conversations and part of government and we even hear from um, state funding bodies and national funding bodies that 
when people are doing their grant applications, they're asking about ethical business and they're asking about tax and about legal rights and how that they can make sure that they're actually running their business properly because of what conversation we've added to the industry and the community. So, yeah, I think we're doing pretty well. We've got a way to go. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely... We're improving the industry already by existing, yeah. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks for being interested. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Following on the theme of young people carrying the banner for fair outcomes at work, I spoke to Lucas, an organiser for RAFU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers' Union, about how he became an organiser. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I was on the shop floor for nine years working at Woolworths before I became a RAFU organiser. Um, in that time, I recruited a lot of workers at my store. We ran campaigns around health and safety at my store. Um, and then I got involved in the sort of um, uh, kind of social uh, scene of RAFWU and uh, put on social events for the union and, uh, and then got elected as a delegate. Uh, and yeah, from there started, um, there was an opportunity. We needed an organiser in Sydney, so I moved up to Sydney to uh, take on the task. And it was, yeah, first time I'd been an organiser. I sort of packed my bags, went up there and started organising. Oh, that's fantastic. So um, tell me, uh, I mean, you're a young person. Uh, was there a lot of resistance or a lack of understanding of what a union does? Uh, in, my, in my workplace? Yeah, I mean, um, I, there was a lot of misunderstanding of what a union does for two reasons. One of them was that, um, that people just generally are pretty um, not informed about unions, but the other reason was that the other existing union, the SDA, um, did not take a fighting approach to unionism. They took a conciliatory um, approach with uh, big business, and so it was, uh, it was really for us to relearn what it meant to be a union um, when we moved from the SDA over to RAFWU. Yeah, a membership. Yeah. It's a membership organisation, <laughs> yeah, exactly. not just run from an office somewhere else. Yeah, exactly, exactly, that's right. Okay, yeah. and so what about your experience moving from Melbourne to Sydney? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty daunting. I'd never worked as a union organiser before, um, but I pretty much was just asking myself uh, what was my organiser doing for me uh, when I was uh, on the shop floor um, and just trying to think about the kinds of practical support that, um, that workers need to be able to um, have conversations and bring people on board and learning, I guess, in more depth about the issues that not only existed at my store but across the industry. So, um, you know, on my store, our campaigning was heavily focused on health and safety, but I came to learn that, you know, at different workplaces we were facing issues of casualisation, of understaffing, of all sorts of different issues. And so my it was about, uh, you know, learning about uh, those issues in depth and then how we can fight collectively uh, against them. And so, yeah. And also, uh, you said that you were involved socially, so it's become, uh, it's a membership organisation and then yeah. people build their social lives around the people that they work with as well as campaign with. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was definitely um, a big feature of when I was a delegate. I wanted to be, I was, you know, wanted to be involved in meeting other people from RAFU and so we started having activist meetings um, and then the activist meetings kind of 
uh, you know, we we didn't want there to be a threshold where people thought, oh, I'm not right, really an activist. Do I, how can I just go along and meet people and be involved? So we just started having Rafu social events, um, and so I would cook, you know, a big bunch of um, food, and then uh, and uh, and then we would have like a social event at the office, and you know, there'd be 30 or 40 people there, and you know, all chatting about, um, you know becoming friends but also chatting about the kind of campaigns that they were doing, the issues that were in their workplace and that really kind of, you know, that's the kind of um, extra level of community that um, can be formed in those, you know, like you said, membership organisations where people aren't just connected through their activism but they're also connected to each other, you know, in a deeper kind of community sense. And also because RAFU is a union and it's got an intelligent base, Yeah. Uh, that gives support, doesn't it? It's not just on the shop floor. It's yeah. also uh, strategy and uh, research and commitment coming from uh, Brains Trust. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and we draw upon the, you know, the activist community as well. So, you know, there's people here who are from all You're sorts of different workplaces and people here who just want to see active fighting unions succeed. Um, and so, you know, launching the union, yeah, we needed... We needed both the the campaigning experience, but also that kind of uh, that you know that industrial brains trust as well. Um, you know, a lot of that initially was uh, coming from Josh, the the person who founded the union. But now, you know, we have uh, industrial officers, legal officers, and you know, all of the people who've come up from the shop floor are also skilled up in in their their skills of organising and all of that. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. At a rally recently in support of workers at Reading's Bookshop in Melbourne for fair and livable wages, I spoke to Ben and Bailey, members of the Art Workers Collective, about their work supporting a better outcome for workers. Well, I'm interested in the work that you've been doing as uh, artists, as part of the Art Workers Collective, mm. and how you've done the material that supports this demonstration outside readings. Um, I've been a bookseller my entire adult life, um, so it was easy to dig into the resentment that's built up over years and years of, um, uh, yeah, shitty bosses. I mean, bookselling is in many ways a great cushy job, but only until recently, like I work at Paperback in the city and that's a great job. The bosses are good. Uh, my manager used to be a union delegate, so he understands, you know, what's what's required to be a, you know, a good working environment. Um, but people like, you know, the management of readings, um, they, they're just like every other boss I've ever had in every other book, uh, chain bookshop. Um, where they get a bit too much money and it goes to their head and they just start hoarding it, basically. Anyway, but that, that's, uh, that's what made the, the graphics that I've made for this um, particularly uh, resentful, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fairly important that there are links between um, creatives, yeah. like yourself, and uh, people who are trying to get a message across sure. like this. Yeah, um, yeah I think... It's good to constantly, like, um, obviously there's iconography that the union movement's had for, you know, generations and generations, but it's good to keep that fresh and, and not just keep, you know, going back to the same fists raised or, or something like that. Like, it's always good to, I don't know, to have a creative sort of front, I guess. Um, and and it's know. sort of a wash now of youth. 
yeah. uh, more youthful. Like it's not a, it's not an old story. Fairness yeah. and solidarity is it? No, not at all. I don't know. What do you What do you reckon? It's not an old story. Is that? It's not saying? an old story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it is, but I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a new story as well. Yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what's good about Workers Art Collective um, is that is that yeah, we exist to form that layer, um, and at its best, hopefully, we can be we can be deployable um, for things like this when they pop up. I mean, Ben was asked to do it and he turned it around. <laughs> Quick Smart Judy Code did some work for it and she did that that really fast and it was great. Um, and I think I think it helps get people's attention as well. It's just very hard like in a you know, we're in such a visual world now, like digital visual world, like without having something that like some you know, art that feels like it's not clip art, it's um, something that someone's taken the time to think about and make. Like I think that that can't underestimate that the 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 interest that that can sort of bring to something that should should have more eyes on it. Um, so original work, but also considered. Yeah, yeah, and I think that most of the or all the workers art collective uh, members are very good at that. Like they have very distinct styles that are their own and their own personal voice that they've developed through doing a lot of union or political work over the years. And I think that that's the thing that can cut through a little bit and help grab people. I mean, not to say it's the most important thing in the world, but I do think, yeah, it has. Does it give you a sense of freedom to be able to express your politics? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I, I think it's good to have, like, like Bailey just said, we all have different aesthetic approaches in the collective. Um, so that's good because it sort of suits a variety of different causes like sometimes you want something that's a bit rowdy sometimes you want something that's uh, somber or you know whatever the situation is so good it's good to have sort of 10 or 11 of us to um, just throw something to if one of us is busy or if one of us is more suited to the particular issue at hand Do pay, I mean I know it's a thorny issue but uh, being paid you're not breatharians are we seeing that people are actually looking after you for all the work that you're doing um, it, again, it depends on what the cause is. Like, um, RAFWU is a smaller union, a, new, a smaller, newer, newer union. So I would gladly do stuff for them for free, um, or for a smaller amount than something else. Like, for instance, um, I did a an illustration for another a publication a few months ago that was funded by sort of Labor stalwarts. Even though I have mixed feelings about the Labor Party for obvious reasons, but them I would happily charge. You know. Uh, premium, you know, illustrator's uh, fee for that. Um, but if, if it's a cause, yeah, mates rates or pro bono, is, um, I'm, I would gladly do it personally. Are, are you part of the union? Are you part yeah. of the MEAA? No, uh, I'm part of NTU and RAFWU. Um, and we both do a lot of stuff for NTU on the communications front, um, especially at RMIT, um, sort of posters and... Um, mail outs. We do, we've done newsletters for two or three years for various different union sort of organisations as well. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. 
My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.